Welcome to the Nightly Five podcast with Ben O'Shea. Welcome to the Nightly Five. Great to be with you for this first episode. These are the top five stories to get you ahead of tomorrow. And where could we start other than the story that's gripped the nation? Bo Lamar Condon, the New South Wales cop who stands accused of murdering his ex-boyfriend and his new partner. Now the state's top cop, Karen Webb, is facing leadership questions over her handling of the case. Journalist Remy Varga is in the thick of it and she'll be on the show soon with the latest news. Meanwhile, Labor insiders have launched a stunning attack on PM Anthony Albanese today, revealing to us that they believe The Voice will be an albatross around his neck. Editor-in-Chief Anthony DeSegli will join me to discuss it. And the footy world was shocked last week when Melbourne Premiership player Angus Brayshaw retired at just 26 years old. You don't want to miss Lethal Lee Matthews' first column in the nightly, where the footy legend calls on the AFL to scrap the interchange bench. He reckons without subs, players will get more fatigued and you'll cut down on high-speed collisions. Lethal was responsible for a fair share of those in his playing days, so it's a fascinating change of speed from the legend. And former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian was in court today, launching a civil case to overturn last year's ICAC finding that she engaged in corruption while in a secret relationship with former Wagga Wagga MP Daryl Maguire. We've got the full analysis at thenightly.com.au. And how did you juggle work in the school pickup today? It's a daily battle for many Aussie families, so stay tuned for how to navigate it. But first, let's dig a little deeper into a story that has all the hallmarks of a Hollywood movie, but at its centre is a shocking and very real double homicide. We have a lot of material to digest and that no one involved in this inquiry to date has assisted police with the location of those bodies and we are relying on the thorough work of detectives in Homicide Squad to try and locate them. That's New South Wales Police Commissioner Karen Webb speaking today about the case against one of her officers, Senior Constable Bo Lamar Condon, who's been charged with the murder of Jesse Baird and Luke Davies. Joining me now with the latest is nightly reporter Remy Varga. Remy, thanks for joining us. Hi. This story has already had so many twists and turns. What do we currently know for sure? What we learnt today was that New South Wales police allege Bo Lamar Condon with a female friend rented a van at the airport and drove up to a property in the Southern Tablelands. Detectives said that the woman wasn't really aware of what she was doing. Um, New South Wales Police Deputy Commissioner Dave Hudson described her as an innocent agent who was just kind of along for the ride. The pair went to a property in Bungonia, which is about 180k southwest of Sydney. On the way, they stopped in Goulburn. They bought a padlock and an angle grinder before they went to the property in Bungonia. They cut a padlock on the property's gate before replacing it with the padlock that they bought. They then went into the property The acquaintance was left alone for about 30 minutes while Constable Lemaire Condon went and did something um, and came back. The pair then drove to Sydney. Police then believe that Lemaire Condon drove back to the property. This time he had some weights that he'd bought as well as some torches. He then went back into the property 
before he drove to Newcastle and asked a friend whether he could borrow a hose to clean out the van. Now, the investigators then believe that Lemire Condon then a third time went to the property on Hazleton Road where they suspect or hypothesise that he moved the bodies before he handed himself in at a police station in Bondi on Friday. Mm. And now, just by the very nature of the fact that this is a police officer involved, it's embarrassing for New South Wales police. But beyond that, people are questioning how the cops have handled the crime scene. Uh, And even if Karen Webb is doing her job adequately, here's what she had to say in response to that criticism. That's offensive. Of course I'm doing my job. But I need to let my detectives do the job that I asked them to do. Now, it's probably not a huge surprise that in such a high-profile case there'll be questions asked of how the police are handling it. Do you think that criticism is fair enough? It took Webb three days to issue a statement on the murder of Baird and Davies, which people are attacking for being too slow. Um, Her defence to that today was that she had a budget estimates hearing um, on Friday, and then she on Saturday she had to go to a memorial for victims of gay hate crimes in Bronte. Um, and I guess her, she's basically saying she had prior engagements, one related to LGBT rights, um, and that's why she couldn't do it. Um, she's also resisting calls for police to not march in, in the annual Mardi Gras parade, um, something which is also backed by New South Wales Premier Chris Minns. Um, he said that gay and lesbian police officers have fought for the right to march in Mardi Gras and they should be allowed to do so. Yeah, like you say, it does feel as though a match has been struck on a tinderbox in New South Wales when it comes to LGBTQ rights. But one thing's for sure, the details of this case have made international news, so we'll be following your reporting very closely. Remy Varga, thanks for joining me on The Nightly Five. No worries, thank you. Together, we can embrace the Uluru Statement from the Heart. We can answer its patient, gracious call for a voice enshrined in our constitution. That was Anthony Albanese's victory speech when he became Australia's 31st Prime Minister in May 2022. It was also the moment that he committed his first-term government to constitutional change. And today The Nightly has revealed what Labor insiders really thought of it and what they now think is an albatross around Albo's neck. Here to unpack it with us is Nightly Editor-in-Chief Anthony DeSegli. Anthony, great to have you on the first episode of the show. No, thank you. I can't wait to do my segment and then later on listen to the whole show. Yeah, well, Chris Dawson piece in the nightly today really doesn't hold back what did we learn about albo's decision making around the voice referendum in those moments where he was elected prime minister yeah look i think the headline act um to to use an insider saying the headline act is definitely the fact that you know christopher door former editor-in-chief of the australian is revealing for the first time that you know very high up senior labor people around anthony albanese warned him not to come out in that victory speech and specifically talk about the voice. Um, They told him to be generic. Um, And, of course, the first thing that he did was come out and promise the voice. And, and, you know, the whole piece is how this becomes an albatross around his neck um, and is still 
causing problems for, for the Prime Minister. Yeah, it feels as though reading that piece and looking at what some of those Labor insiders have said that he got a bit swept up in the moment and he wanted to make a big grandiose statement. That was the decision that he made on the spur of a moment. And now it, Indigenous people have paid the price. Uh, the chances of a voice referendum have been scrapped. Uh, it really didn't turn out the way Albo hoped. No, it didn't. And, and right at the end of the piece, some some high-ranking Labor insiders again also say that it's probably stuffed the Republic movement as well. Um, but I think the the, the really um, important part of this piece is, you know, no matter, no matter where you stand on, on the voice to Parliament, um, no matter whether you're conservative or if you're left-wing, if you're progressive, um, right-wing, what people haven't really done is deconstruct how it all went wrong and haven't deconstructed um, to this level of degree by Christopher Dorr um, how the wheels came off um, and how Elbow performed during that referendum. And I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, he, he didn't perform very well. Mm. And what do you think it says now that some of these uh, Labor insiders are being so vocal at the same time as the party is facing some huge challenges with polling numbers? We saw this week uh, they took a dip, dropping below the coalition for the first time. Do you think it's a sign that maybe there's, the, the, the Labor bandwagon is getting a bit rickety? Um, I mean, look, there's an old saying in politics, if you want a friend, buy a dog. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the Dunkley by-election is obviously this weekend. That'll be a test. Statutory tax cuts are probably going to save the Dunkley by-election for the Labor government. But I think there's no doubt that things are tighter um, than they were two years ago. And as you said at the start of this, the really sad thing, um, really tragic thing, is the voice to Parliament, um, you know, it didn't work out and one of the reasons it didn't work out was because of how the Prime Minister performed during that campaign. Yeah, and so you've got you've got that, uh, which, which his own party members are saying is an albatross around his neck to this day, months and months after The Voice. Cost of living, which we know about, we report on this every day, uh, rate rises. There was a time when Australia seemed to change PMs more regularly than some people change their socks. Is there any chance that there could be a leadership spill? Oh, look, the, the way the party, the way the Labor Party changed how you can, how you can, you know, knife a prime minister in the back, um, they've made it a lot harder. So, so it's not like it used to be. They've made it a lot harder. I can't imagine there is a leadership change anywhere near on the agenda. Um, but, you know, what, what Christopher Dawes' piece has done is show that there is concerns. And when there's concerns, there's talk. And agendas get swept up and, you know, their biggest risk is probably a rising Peter Dutton and a Liberal Party that is feeling more buoyant than it has in a long time because Australians are hurting in their hip pocket. And, you know, when Australians hurt in their hip pocket, they're not very happy. Yeah, it's amazing to think. Not that long ago, we talked about, you know, the, whether the Liberal brand was dead in Australia, when Conservative politics were dead in Australia, but certainly doesn't seem to be the case right now. A lot can and will change before the next election, which has to be called before uh, the end of September next year. Folks, you can get ahead of it all with the best analysis in the country at thenightly.com.au. And it's Editor-in-Chief Anthony DeSegli. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ben. Who did the school pick up in your household today? If it was you, did you have to duck out of work? And if so, did you feel guilty about leaving the office? The daily battle to meet that end of school deadline is a juggling act for many Aussie families. But does it have to be? Here to answer that question is columnist at The Nightly and mother to a couple of very cute two daughters, Kate Emery. Kato, did you do the school pick up today? Uh, not today, which is why I'm in a good mood and able to get a productive day of work in. <laughs> so there's a big focus on daycare and we have made huge strides in that regard. It's not perfect, but 
you know, we're, we're getting there in terms of getting parents, especially women, back into the workplace. Do you think, and certainly based on this column, I think you do, that the school pickup has somehow fallen through the cracks in terms of the obligations that parents have? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the school pickup, school hours, it's like a horror of parenthood that no one ever tells you about. No one told me about it. People tell you about, you know, the late nights, trying to get into a good daycare, the punamis. No one ever says at some point you're going to have to structure your career around getting across town and to the school gates by three o'clock. And so it's a sort of dawning realisation that, oh, I have to do this every day for 13 years somehow. <laughs> well, well, until they're old enough to jump on a bus themselves and then it's like every, every kid for themselves. And so who do you think is most impacted then by the school pickup? Well, uh, most mums listening will probably know the answer. Uh, most dads might not believe me, but it is it is the mothers, it is the women. Um, th- there's a few reasons for that. I guess the, the big one is that in any family, if one person has to work part-time or work flexibly or prioritise, you know, taking a job where they can leave at three o'clock, um, it's often going to be the mother. And that's usually because the dad usually earns more because, unfortunately, statistically speaking, men usually earn more than women. Um, and, you know, I think there's also a, a societal, cultural expectation in there as well. Um, however much we think we don't have it, there's still an expectation that, oh, we'll be the mum who's mostly at home. And so, yeah, it does it does impact women, um, and I certainly feel it. And here's a question for you, because, like, I wonder if it also impacts women in another way, a little bit differently, because I do the school pickup for my daughter, um, and it tends to be seen as, if you're a bloke doing the school pickup, it's like, oh, what a great dad, you know, what a hero, he's doing the school pickup and juggling his career. But it seems to me as though, you know, there's this vibe around women doing the same job where it's like, oh, hang on a minute, you're not prioritising your career. You're, it's not given that same sort of cachet. Do you think that's that's fair? Yeah, I do. I, I just think the whole vibe is guilt. There's guilt for everyone. Yeah, guilt for there's everyone. There's guilt for the person who's like sneaking out of the office at 2.45, leaving a jacket over the chair so their boss will think they're still there. <laughs> there's guilt for the um, parent who isn't doing that because they think, oh, I'm missing out on this like chat with the other school parents. I'm missing out on this time with my kids. There's guilt for the parents who, yeah, keep their kid in after school care there's just guilt everywhere and yeah my husband does the school pickup a couple of times a week and the way that some mothers speak about him it's like they're planning to erect a small tasteful <laughs> statue yep. to him because he's relate. just so amazing I can relate uh, and so what's the solution then well that's the tricky thing really isn't it as with all kind of complex problems there's no single solution it's a lot of things that have to happen Part of the picture is definitely after school um, care. The Productivity Commission last year had a draft report that recommended all schools have a sort of wraparound care. That's a great starting point. Um, Flexible work is also a huge thing. That has been big after COVID. I think it needs to keep happening. I think employers who are trying to get workers back into the office full time need to, you know, have a little think about that for starters. And yeah, we just need to see more people talking about it. I think acknowledgement would go a long way in order to help parents feel like they're not going insane thinking this is a problem. Yeah, I think that's pretty good advice indeed. And you can get Kate's full column at thenightly.com.au. Do yourself a favour and check it out. Kato, thanks for joining us. Kate Emery. And that, folks, is today's show. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Nightly Five podcast is brought to you by Seven West Media. For all these stories and more, head to thenightly.com.au, helping you get in front of tomorrow.